All right. So, um, last week, you guys remember what Sarah talked about? Sarah doesn't remember what she talked about, but um, she does. Um, I was uh, sitting there listening to her, and um, while she's sitting, while I'm listening to her, yes, I do listen to my wife. Um, not every time she speaks, but when she speaks. Um, and I was sitting there listening to her, and, and um, she was talking about how you know we have certain callings in our life, and and I started to think about it. Started to um, God started giving me a word, and while we're sitting there, I'm sitting there typing on my iPad, trying to one one hand type about it, and God started giving me a, a download of, of people's calling is not always what they desire in their life. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but. Um, so I really want to get into uh, our calling and how God orchestrates our calling in our life, but we have to line up with how God um, has orchestrated that for us to walk in the calling and the destiny, the destiny that he has for us. So um, for me, in my life, it, it wasn't something that was like, a, you know, I got born again and I'm like, I know I need to be a, I'm going to be a preacher. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't something like that that sat in my, sat in my, my I got saved out of fear. It was like, I don't want to go to hell. You know, that, that was the whole thing. And so I, I got saved out of fear, not out of a love from a Savior who, who cares for me. So I got saved and, you know, I, I grew up the normal Christian life. I, you know, raised by uh, parents that went to church sometimes and, um, and, um, and just normal things. And then at age 13, parents got divorced, you know. So I was like, you know, I'm just a normal kid. I go to church and we go to church every Sunday. I sit on the back pew and I get bored and I fall asleep and, and, um, or I hide under the pew and I just play with toys that I bring in my pockets when I, uh, when I came in. So it was just a normal church existence for me. Um, but my calling didn't show up until I was in my twenties because in my teens, divorce, it, it messes with kids. And I'm not, I'm not going to go into that today, but my, I got spent so much time in psychological and emotional hurt through the, through the rest of my teen years, trying to figure out who I was, trying to understand um, the reasons behind everything. And we're never going to know all the reasons behind it. But, um, and then, I, you know, uh, got out of high school, worked, work, met Sarah, got married, and then I, we just kind of did church. We served every week. We tithed. We we did all the normal things that church life entails. Um, but it wasn't until probably 26, somewhere in that area, that I just came home one day and said, hey, uh, God told me we're going to start a youth group in our town and we're not going to have any support and we're going to do it on our own, so you're going to run most of it because I'm working full-time. And she's like got a six-month-old on And she's like, okay. <laughs> and um, she said, okay. She said, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm summarizing what she said to me. I'm really, really generali generalizing what she said to me. And she said, okay, um, after many hours of um, discussion, let's just put it that way. Um, but I had, but I had been, felt like this and God just laid it on my heart and he said, you need to do this. And I was like, because I was just, you know, I was driving to Muskegon every day and I was, I was driving home through town and I'm watching uh, kids on bikes and skateboards and, and walking through town. And I'm like, man, God, there is something for these kids, something for this area, and you need to do something. And he goes, hey, you. I'm like, oh, crap. 
Um, sometimes when God says you need to do it, you're like, crap, really? Sorry if you're not allowed to say crap in your house. I'm sorry. Um, don't say that, kids, if you're not allowed to say that. Um, but um, so we started, we started running, uh, we started youth group, and we had like um, some really nasty shag carpet and um, two really beater old couches. We got some blue shag carpet from the Elvis's uh, barn. John brought over. He goes, I got some carpet for you and orange too. And uh, first it was the orange, then he brought us the blue. And you could literally rake it. I mean, it was like that, and you could rake up stuff. <laughs> and, um, and so we, we started doing this, and it was, it was literally like three kids playing Xbox. Yeah, I mean, I got pictures of Jared dressed up in like uh, a scuba diving outfit. And I mean, we just had weird things going on. But we started to connect. It was really weird. I mean, we just sat there and played Xbox. For the first six months, there was nothing but connecting with the kids. It was nothing but getting kids to know who we are. And we, we, every now and then we would just have like random 30 kids show up. I'm like, who are these kids? Oh, I just brought all my friends with me. Um, but I started to see where God was leading me. It wa- I wasn't in an, a very active role besides just trying to um, direct where we wanted to go because I was working a lot and was, you know, I was gone 10, 11 hours a day. And... Um, so I was, all, I was figuring out, God was showing me where he wanted me to go. And so I was doing some things with one of the, the youth pastors that we were working with at the time. Um, and him and I were sitting in the Side Street Cafe in Fremont. And he's like, you ever thought about the ministry? I said, nope. <laughs> nope. He's like, you ever thought about going, you know, maybe going to Bible school and doing it? I said, nope. And um, about three days later, I come back up to him I'm like, yeah, God just talked to me over the weekend. I'm like, yeah. And um, so it, it, was, it wasn't like I knew my purpose, I knew my calling from the moment I got saved. It was something that was, I knew after a question was asked me. And there's a lot of times where we get into our life and until someone asks us that question, we don't think about it. We don't think about certain things in the kingdom until we are asked that question. And so I had probably had that call in my life before, and prob- God probably hadn't like, kicked down the door before, tried to kick down the door before, but my own insecurities, my own um, lack of knowledge, my own, just everything in my life, I wasn't to that point yet. And then when that question was asked, I was at a point, God said, now you're willing for me to use you. And it wasn't like I would wanted to, it was just like, no, I mean, I'm content with doing youth group. We do it once a week, and this is what we do, and... Um, we're, I'm just going to stick with this. Um, I, I believe, if you guys um, did the life language, there's contemplator and mover, and those are completely opposite ends of the spectrum. And so I was operating out of my contemplator there for a long time. And then when, God, when I uh, s- submitted to God and opened that door, he said, oh, by the way, here's the other part of your personality, which is the mover, and that's called ADD. And, um, and, he, and he gave it to you. Everybody thinks people that are most movers are um, diagnosed with ADD. It's not that we have ADD. It's that we're always saying, okay, where are we going to go? Where are we going to the next one, the next one? So I'm sitting with this youth pastor, and he's like, uh, have you ever thought about the ministry? I'm like, no. And so uh, eventually I, I go back to him. I'm like, yeah, yeah I really want to. Um, and so, you know, went through the process, but the calling that I had didn't fit into the box of where I was. Um, the calling you ha- have may not fit into your box. It may not, um, 
it may not fit into the, point, the life that you're living right now. Sometimes our calling is so much greater than the life that we're living right now that we don't even, we can't even fathom what, we, what we're called to do. Um, the calling he has for you is going to stretch you to a point that you have to rely on him to give you strength to fulfill the calling that he's asked you to fulfill. You have to rely on him to fulfill that calling because he's designed you to do that. You don't even, some of us don't even realize the calling that we have in our lives now, but he's designed you to do that, but you have to rely upon him to fulfill that in you. One of the people that um, really stuck out to me when I was going through this was Moses. Talk about a guy who had a huge calling on his life, but was on the opposite end of the spectrum of leading people out of Israel. So Moses, um, you guys know the story, he's a, a baby, his parents hide him in the river. The, um, someone in the royal family finds him and raises him as, his, as their own. Then he kills another Egyptian. He sees him abusing a, 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 um, a Hebrew person, uh, an Israelite, someone in his family or of the Hebrew nation, because he had started to realize that he wasn't, an Egyptian. He knew that he was an Egyptian and he saw the plight of his people and he saw the concern um, that the Lord had and he started to feel that in his life. He, that was the beginning of his calling, of him recognizing the calling in his life. So Moses kills this Egyptian who is attacking this Hebrew person and he basically buries him in the sand and then he goes about the next day and he's trying to break up an argument between he, two Hebrews and, he, and they say, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian and bury him in the sand? He's like, Oh, so he, he literally flees from Egypt. Okay, if you've ever watched the movie, The Ten Commandments, that is not follow scripture, so read it before you watch it. So I'm just saying. Because I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like reading this. I'm like, wasn't it this way in the movie? I'm like, okay, they got it wrong. Charlton Heston did a great job, but yeah, it was not biblically accurate in some areas. So, um, so Moses, he flees and he goes to live. He's 40 years old when he flees. He goes and lives another 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness. So if you guys turn to Exodus 3 for me. Exodus 3, 9. So this is Moses, and he's, he's coming into a realization. He's standing before, before God in the, burning, in the burning bush, and God's talking to him, and he says, in verse 9, it says, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression in which the Egyptians depressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God calls him and says, hey, uh, calls him up to the, you know, he stands before the burning bush and says, hey, this is holy ground, remove your, remove your sandals. So he removes the sandals, he comes up to the Lord and, and he's standing in the presence of God and God says, I'm going to call you, I'm calling you to pull my children of Israel out of bondage. You know, Moses lived in the lap of luxury for 40 years. He was royalty. He was the, um, he was someone who didn't have to really do a whole lot. He could basically do what he wanted to. He had slaves. He had people under his command. He lived in that lap of luxury for 40 years. But after 40 years of living in there, the awareness of the oppression of, of God's people was on him. God was working in his heart, working in his, in his spirit, to begin some, a work in him so he, he could finish the work God had called him to do. So, 
God says, hey, you're going to go and uh, go to Pharaoh and you're going to uh, tell him to let my people go. Moses, so afraid, he argues, and we'll read this in verse 11, 311. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he basically says, hey, um, I got a little argument here to start with you because um, um, I left there on not so good circumstances. Um, And, you know, I've been here 40 years. They may not remember me, but um, uh, yeah, um, I don't have a whole lot of credibility with them. If I go back and say, hey, by the way, you need to let all those slaves go. That million people that you have, you need to let them all go. And um, yeah, Moses is a little afraid that when he goes back, he's got a wanted poster up in the post office there and they're going to be, they're going to bring him in and probably uh, behead him or, or kill him. So Moses has the mindset, who am I? And how am I going to do this? Going to go to this man and tell him, oh, the God that you don't believe in has told you to let all of your slaves go. Hey, remember me? I'm the guy that killed that guy, and um, and I'm now back. Um, uh, the God I believe in that you don't believe in is telling me to tell you to let all the slaves go. So yeah, you need to do that. That's what's going through his head. And and in Moses' mind, he's thinking they're either going to kill me or laugh me out of Egypt. He's like, I have a reputation there. It's not very good right now. And so he's giving God these objections of why he can't do it. Well, you know, you know my past. You're the the one that's seen everything. God's reply is pretty cool, and I like it. And it's pretty simple and matter matter of fact is he says, I will be with you. Plain and simple, I will be with you. And, And you can't get any simpler than that. I will be with you. And um, some, of the, uh, some of the different translations I was reading, it, and it said, this calling is based not on your credibility, but mine. I don't want Egypt to be impressed with you. I want Egypt to be impressed with me. And I thought that was really powerful because God is sending him as, as a spokesperson, as a, as, a, as a mouthpiece for him, but he says, I don't want them to be impressed with you. I want them to be impressed with me. And, and, and so many times in our lives, we get into that mindset, well, I've got to be this, this, and this because I'm the one that's doing this. No, it's not. We are simply a vessel for God to work through. Our calling is not based on our own merit, our own credibility, our own knowledge, our, our, our schooling, our, our, our looks, anything. It is all based on what God is going to do us and us going to do through us, excuse me, and us being willing to allow God to move through us. So, okay, you, you can say amen every now and then. Don't, you guys are really quiet today. So, um, so think about this. Moses says, okay, I'll go. And then he starts to give God even more objections. Verse, uh, excuse me, Exodus 4, 1 says, Moses answered and said, but behold, They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. So I love how he's like, oh, by the way, I got another objection to what you just told me to do. Um, They're not going to believe me. 
You know, he goes in there, he goes, you know, the God that I believe in, that you don't believe in, wants me to, to you need to let the people go. They're going to be like, yeah, you've been out in the sun a little too long. Um, <laughs> and so he's like, well, they're not going to believe me because they worship idols. They worship gods that they've carved into the stone in the side of their, their temples and pyramids. And I'm going in there and telling them of God that they have no clue of. And they're going to be like, please, what are you thinking? Are, are you crazy? But God replies back to him. And he goes, you know what? And you look at that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what God says. He's like, I don't want them to be impressed with your power. I want them to be impressed with my power. He's like, look at that staff. He goes, throw it on the ground. Everything Moses did was a, a simple um, obedience to God because God was saying, I don't want you to turn this into a serpent. I'm going to turn it into a serpent. It wasn't, God wasn't saying, it's going to be you that leads you through this calling. It's going to be me that leads you through this calling. So many times we give we doubt what God gives us to say. Sometimes God's like, well, I, I, I've given this to you to speak. Yeah, I remember the first time God gave me a direct word of something that I needed to speak. Most of the time before that, it was like, oh, I'm just going to go through scripture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on something because I feel like it. And God's like, this is what you're going to speak. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can really say that to people. It's kind of like the first time God gives you a prophetic word and you're like, I don't really know how to say this to somebody if they get offended at me. Or if they're going to be like crying, because I don't want either one, you know. Um, so many times we doubt what God gives us to say. But God wants us to follow through with what he's asked us to do so he can show us through our obedience the power that he has in people's lives. We think it's going to be, uh, we, a lot of times we in our own stupidity, in our own humanness, we think what we're doing is going to change somebody's life. And it's like, God's like, what are you even thinking? It's me working through you that's changing their life. You're like, I just led someone to, I, I healed somebody. No, God healed them through you. We, we get into this mindset that it's, it's what we do, but it's not. It's simply the Holy Spirit living in us. It's God living in us that allows us to do great things. We, we get so um, absorbed with ourselves that, oh man, look what I did. Look what I did. And God's like, Stupid, quit. I did this through you. I gave you the tools to do this. We think our, our, what we have to say and what we're going to do is going to change people's hearts and minds, and it's not. It's simply God working through us is what changes people's hearts and minds. But most of the time, it's simply us just being obedient. If we're obedient to him, I was, Layla, we picked up Layla from her friend's house after um, the dance, and she was telling me, I'm like, that's my girl. I'm like, yes. I'm like, that's my child. But I'm like, I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mine too. Um, but I was like, and I, I just simply said, to her, I said, that's what happens when you submit yourself over to God and allow him to work through you. I'm so proud of her because she had the courage to allow God to move through her. So it's us simply being obedient to what God is asking us to do at that moment. So if you look at Moses, then he comes up with another objection. He's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get out of this as many ways as I possibly can. Ver, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says, Oh Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. He's like, nothing's changed since you started speaking to me. 
I'm still not good at this. I lo- that's, it is pretty funny. You can tell that God has a sense of humor when Moses is saying that. He's like, hey, nothing in the past. And yeah, since you started talking to me, not a lot's changed. So um, where was I? Sorry, I lost the track. Okay, there we go. Eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. So he's like, I stutter. He's like, I have a speech impediment. He has a lisp. Something is keeping his tongue tied. He has something that's keeping him from speaking normally. I love God's response. Who made man's mouth? I mean, just one-liners. God just zinging them at him. Like, just who made, who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? Who made you? And he's like, oh. I, can you imagine the disappointment on Moses' face? Like, crap, man, he got me again. He's like, I'm trying to get out of this, but every time I come up with an objection, God just gives me this one-liner and says, oh, by the way, you're back in the game. God is telling Moses that you're, my re- you're just my representative, not me. He goes, you're not God. You're just representing me to Pharaoh. God tells Moses that he will teach him how to speak. And what to speak. God, is, it, God wants us. God wants us to object to him. He wants to have that conversation with us. So he can show us how good he is. He wants to have us say. Well you know God. I really wasn't so good at this. God's like. But. I'm good at this. Well God. I'm not really good at speaking. But God's like. Who made your mouth? I made your mouth. Quit telling me you're not good at something. Because I can fix that like that. Before you even get that sentence done, I will have it fixed. So a lot of times in our life, we come up with reasons, excuses. We can find not to do what God has asked us to do. Or what he's called us to. There's a lot of people who know they have a calling in their life, but they're so afraid or they have so many different reasons why they can't do it. And God's like, this is how you can do it. This is, and God actually gives them, the, shows them how to do it. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I just don't really want to do it. You know, I, I look and there was somebody probably before me that had the same idea of what to do in this town for the, as a church, this kind of church. But they probably gave some objections. And they probably came up with reasons why they couldn't do it. Well, you know, the money's not there. The people aren't there. It's not a very big area. Um, you know, and I, it, it reminded me of when we first started to figure out, I first knew that God wanted us to, to start this church. And someone said to me, nope, don't do it in his spirit. It's too small. I said, what? What are you talking about? He goes, don't. You got to do it in Fremont. You can, it's bigger, there's more people in that area, and you'll get more peeper, people peeper, people quicker. There we go. I kind of mixed those two. Yes, there we go. Um, so he's like, you'll get more people quicker. I said, I, I don't live in Fremont. I live in Hesperia. I said, God hasn't called me to Fremont. Don't get me wrong. If you're from Fremont, I love you. But... <laughs> We're in Hesperia. God's starting it here, not there. We may reach there. We may reach the other areas, but God started it here. So when someone says, oh, you just need to move it to there because you'll do better. 
It's not about doing better. It's about doing what God has asked you, when he's asked you, where he's asked you to do it. Because if we say, well, you know, God's asked me to do this, but I think it's going to be easier here. Sometimes the easy is not always the easiest. Sometimes easy is always, is quick to grow and then it's quick to fail. But God says, I want you to do it here. I didn't give him any objections. When I first moved to this town, we had some objections. My wife gave me a lot of objections why we shouldn't do this when, I, when we needed to. But I didn't give him objections. I just said, okay, you show me what I need to do, how I need to do it, and I'll do it. People gave me objections of why I shouldn't do it. And I'm like, really? Really, you're going to, instead of saying, oh, that's awesome, go for it. They're like, well, you shouldn't do it this, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do this, and you need to move to a different town. And I'm like, I'm like whatever. I just, you know, I really... Um, Especially when people don't like me or don't agree with what I have to say, I, I, I pay a lot of attention to them. Um, so, so uh, sorry. Um, but so many times we come up with an injection. Well, I don't. I don't. I've only been saved for this many years, and I only. I, I don't know a lot of people, and and I haven't been to Bible school, or haven't been formally trained. I haven't, I haven't done this. And Moses has given him all these objections. You know, Moses is like, well, I'm not talented. You know, I, I'm kind of a murderer. Um, God really likes to use people who aren't on the social upscale of things. He likes to use people who are, are more, um, let's just, non-reputable. Let's just put it this way. Um, but God says to him, don't be afraid of what I've asked you to do. The, the biggest factor in Moses' life is fear. He's afraid that he can't do this. They're not going to believe him, and, he, and he's not well-versed in speaking. God says, don't be afraid of what I've asked you to do. <sighs> Gotta love Moses. And then one more time, he comes back. He's like, best objection ever. He just says, don't make me do this. Just don't make me do this. You guys ever, if you guys have kids, you ever, the kids are like, I need you to go do this. And your kids are like, don't make me do that. I like, it'll be late at night and the kids will leave the horse outside or forget to do something. They're like, you guys need to go do this. And they just look at us. Don't make me do that. I'm like, go do it. I'm like, you got to get out there and do that. Moses just plainly asked him, don't make me do this. He gathers all the facts. He's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to reiterate what I said before. And I'm going to tell you what I said before. But I'm asking you, don't make me do this. And so he goes over the facts and how he's disqualified and he's, he's not good enough and how he's a murderer and he's not very well liked there. And then he finally just says, I don't want this calling. God, um, yeah. yeah. Chapter 4, verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Okay, so the, when the, if you're speaking to God, and the next verse that comes out, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against so-and-so, you need to stop. I'm just saying. Okay. 
there's that phrase, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. If God's not happy and you're having this conversation with him and you're like, yeah, I just don't want to do it. I'm not good. And he's like, basically, he just says enough. You guys ever had that? Your kids are arguing and I'm just, there's points in my life where my kids are arguing or the kids are arguing with my wife and I'm just like, enough, stop. Everybody starts crying. I'm just like, stop crying. That's enough of crying. I'm like, we don't cry in this house. No, I'm just kidding. But yes, I have a house full of women and um, they don't get along all the time, but there's times where they get along well. Um, it's probably just they just don't get along with me because I'm the only boy in the house. But, um, but uh, God just basically says, enough, stop. Stop talking, shut up, just listen. He goes, I will give you your brother Aaron to hold your hand. He will lead you to Egypt and he will help you speak. And Aaron's like, you know. And so... Moses is like, well, okay, I guess I can do it if Aaron comes with me and holds my hand. Aaron's probably like, why did you get me involved in this? The anger of the Lord is kindled against you. I don't want to be part of that if you're, if you're mad. And so Aaron's like, great, I just got dragged into this. I'm a slave. But God says, stop. Quit giving me excuses. Quit telling me, oh, I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Feeling sorry for yourself. Um, and he's just like, I'll give you someone to help you. I'll give you your brother. He'll go with you. You'll be able to do this. But so many times in our lives, we're just like, I just don't want to do it. Uh, poor me, wah, wah, wah. It's like, God's just like, suck it up and do it. Just do it. I'm just like, he's just like, God created Nike. Just letting you know, every time in the Bible, somebody's like, oh, I don't want to do this. God's just like, stop, just do it. Many people miss their calling because they're afraid to let God have control of their lives. That's why God keeps looking for people on earth who are willing to submit their lives over to him to do his will, because too many people are afraid to submit it over. There should have been some point in Moses' existence where he's like, you know, or in this, not existence, in this conversation, that he's like, you know, I should probably just quit arguing with this guy. I mean, he, he's showing up in, in the form of a burning bush before me. You know, I can't, the, the ground's probably trembling because of the, the presence of the Lord around him i mean the first of all the, this the spirit of the lord is talking to me telling me to remove my sandals because i'm in holy ground that means the presence of the lord is there but he keeps arguing i i look at this and, and my wife and i are probably not the first people that god told to plan a church here to bring something new to this area but Probably people are like, oh, I don't know. Joyce Meyer talks about it in, in um, one of her books or whatever. God, God told her, I called people before you and men before you, but they didn't answer the call. And you were the one that answered the call. That's why, that's why I chose you. That's why Isaiah, he says, here I am, Lord. Send me. He, he, he's, I'm a man of unclean lips. 
But God says, I don't, I don't care about your life. I don't care what you... Look at the people he used. I mean, he used murderers, thieves. He used people that were just willing to say yes to him. That's why God will keep looking for someone to say yes to him and his plans on earth until he finds that person. Our weakness and failures, failures do not disqualify us. They actually qualify us to work in God's plan. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. This is a, this is a cool scripture. I love when um, the Apostle Paul was just, um, he was just so eloquent in his speaking. You could tell that he, he had a little bit of God in him because he was just like, stop it, don't do this. Cut it off if you need to cut it off. Let's just keep going. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to your worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God had chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring, excuse me, are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the... in the presence of the Lord. He's saying, I'm going to use the low of the low, the least of the least, to accomplish my will because then they can say, well, it's definitely not them because I know them. That's why Jesus had a hard time ministering in his own hometown. They're like, oh, that's just, this, that's just that kid, you know, his dad was the, the, the carpenter in town. He's just the carpenter's son. That's why God used people of low standing to effectively minister his gospel in the world. It says, so we may not boast in our own work, our own ability, but boast in who God is. This is all God. This is it. God has totally done this. It's not me. You were created with a destiny you can walk in. Before the earth was created, God's like, I'm going to put this person here and I'm going to call them to do this, but it's their choice to line up and say, yes, I will do what you've asked me to do. You're calling, each one of you have a calling in your life. You have a destiny, but you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear what God is telling you to do. And I love how um, it's in Matthew, and um, this is one of the scriptures that Sarah talked about last week, and it says, as, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of men. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, in the boat with their father, mending the nets. Then he called them. They immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. That's what God was looking for. He wasn't looking for objections he doesn't mind the objections when you talk to him because he wants to have that conversation to, to prove how right he's always going to be. Yeah. And um, every, just to let you know, you may have conversations with people and arguments with people that you win. Um, you will never win an argument with God. And if you think you've won that argument, you may want to recheck that argument and go back to it. So that's what God is looking for. He's looking for, for people who are mending their nets. And he says, hey, follow me. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to make you fishers of men does that mean? 
And he's like, hey, come with me. And they just dropped everything. They dropped everything and said, okay, you have a calling for me. You just called me. Our calling is literally Jesus calling you saying, hey, I'm going to do this in your life. Everybody's like, well, what's my calling? It's Jesus standing on the opposite end of the room going, hey, I've got something for you. Come follow me and I'll show you what I have for you. He's looking for men and women who are willing to say, I'm going to just drop everything I have to follow you. He's not saying give up everything in life. He's just saying, I'm willing to sacrifice anything it takes for you to follow you. I love the last line. He says, then he called them. They immediately left the boat and their father and, their father and followed him. That means they were out in the water. I don't think they were sitting on land in their boat. They probably got out of the boat, walked or swam into shore, and, got, and uh, ringed their robe out and followed him down the road. I love it when Jesus says to this one, in um, the Gospels, he says to this one man, he goes, follow me. He goes, well, let me, let me bury my father first. He says, let the dead bury the dead. And, and there's a whole different meaning behind that. But he's like, I, don't, I, I asked you to follow me. Don't, don't come up with another reason not to follow me. Don't come up with a reason why you can do it in 30 days or in 40 days. He's like, I want you to follow me now. This is a short period of time I have on earth. He says, follow me. I've got a calling. You have got a calling. Follow me. He was calling them into the destiny that they were created for. He was calling those, those, those fishermen into being disciples and then apostles and, and people who would spread the gospel throughout the world. They didn't know that. They're just trying to make a living because they weren't qualified to be in the priest, be in the synagogues as a priest because they just weren't either smart enough, enough money, uh, well-versed, parents weren't smart enough, whatever it was, they failed out of that. And Jesus is like, I don't care who you are. You, you wonder how many people he called that just said, oh, you know, I can't really do this. I got things to do. But God's just like, I just want, when I say, hey, follow me, he's like, oh, okay, where are we going? When I tell my kids, hey, we're going somewhere, first thing they say is what? Where? Yeah, where are we going? Are we getting food? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where are we going to get food? But God just says, <clears throat> I want you to be childlike and say, where are we going? Your calling is, is literally out there. You just have to open your eyes and open your ears so you can hear what he's saying and see where he's at and where he's leading you. Let's pray.